Hi, this is Patty Johnson. My Be A Wavemaker podcast is a conversation on change, how to lead it, prepare for it, and thrive when work and life are full of surprises. I'll have Wavemaker guests join me and we will share ideas, tips, and strategies you can use now. We all want to build resilience and increase our confidence in ambiguity. This conversation is where we deconstruct these topics to give you real-world insights so you not only welcome change, but initiate it. I hope you'll join us. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Be a Wave Maker, Conversations on Change. I've always been really interested in that crossover capability between entrepreneurs and anyone who really wants to start change, do something different. Think about entrepreneurs. They are able to see things that don't exist. They make decisions without having all the answers and how do they do it? They also find a way to face their fears, stepping right into the unknown, a lot of uncertainty, and yet off they go. So I think this conversation should really bring up some good ideas. If you're thinking about change and how do I go at it, some great lessons here from Rusty Shelton, CEO of Zilker Media. I think you'll really enjoy it. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Conversations on Change. And we've got a great one today to dive into this whole topic of how to be a wave maker. I found that really entrepreneurs have it down. I really think that people that have that entrepreneurial skill, ability to create a business, know instinctively how to actually create change and start change. So I have the perfect guest with me today, and that is Rusty Shelton. And welcome, Rusty. I'm glad you're here. Thank you, Patty. Glad to be here. (laughs) Yeah. Let me just tell you just a little bit about Rusty so you kind of know who he is as we dive into this conversation. So Rusty has been really successful in marketing and a successful entrepreneur from a really young age. In fact, spoke at Harvard on the changing world of PR and marketing when he was only 23. He's a little bit older than that today, but started very, very early. And the thing that's interesting is he has been a founder of two very successful businesses, started Shelton Media and uh, actually sold that business in 2016, is now the founder and chairman of Zilker Media and publisher of Forbes Books and an author. And you can find Rusty's books, two of them. They're very good. I encourage you to check them out. Authority Marketing, How to Leverage Seven Pillars of Thought Leadership to Make Competition Irrelevant. Who doesn't need to know that? A co-author on that. Also a co-author on Mastering the New Media Landscape. Also, Rusty spends a lot of time speaking, writing, being that thought leader on how to actually build your personal brand and thought leadership. And so... What did I miss, Rusty? What did I miss on your story? <laughs> well, I, I think you you nailed it there, especially the <laughs> he's not that young anymore part. Uh, oh, I think it was no, especially no. accurate there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't mean that. Okay. I want to also, before we dive into this topic, I want to just kind of connect how Rusty and I know each other because it's kind of relevant to this conversation. So when I wrote my book, Make Waves, a few years ago, Rusty and his team really helped on the marketing, getting the word out. What's this book about? Who's it going to help? And worked with me very closely on that. So he knows a little bit about this whole wave maker concept. In fact, I don't know if you remember, Rusty, you told me uh, probably now about almost five years ago, you need to do a podcast on wave makers and feature them. And and it took me a minute to actually get it going, but you did give me that advice a few years ago. You're such a natural for it. I think it puts you... (laughs) I think it puts you in an environment that 
you know, has been a big key to all of your success, which is just the ability to really connect with people. Uh, but yeah, I remember you had one of the best book launch events that, that I've been to there at SMU. That was a lot of fun you. Uh, with that launch. I'm sure a lot of your mis- a lot of your listeners were, were there that evening, but that was a real fun one. Yeah. And you came up from Austin, so I'll be internally grateful for that. So thank you. So now you, everybody, you have some context, right, about, you know, Rusty and how we know each other and the connection to change. So uh, let's just dive in. So you seem like you really became an entrepreneur pretty early in your career. So... Was it a plan? Was it a calling? How did that come about? Well, it felt really early in my career. I started my first business at 29, but I think by today's standards, I almost feel like that was, you know, later than a lot of people are getting going now. I actually look back and and I'm really thankful that that I was able to spend so much time early in my career really building relationships, learning things to do, things not to do. So I graduated from University of Texas back in 2003. And while I was at UT, uh, Patty, I did an internship at a book PR company here in Austin. Loved it. Uh, Really, really enjoyed it. And at the time, my high school sweetheart and I had been dating for five years. I had promised myself I was not going to ask her to marry me until I had a job secured post-college and could, could, you know, support us. And so... At the end of my internship, which was junior year at UT, I went to the owner and said, hey, I'll work for free my senior year if you guarantee me a job when I graduate. Oh, nice. And, and so that was a pretty easy decision for, for him. And so he said, uh, sounds great. So we were able to, I was able to go ahead and get the ring and ask her to marry me. And I started my career there as a publicist back in the day where, you know, we were cold calling producers and try to charm them into having an author on their radio show. And so really kind of think back to that older media environment, you know, book review sections in the Dallas morning, authors on TV, et cetera. So at that agency, I moved up, I was managing director there after a couple of years. And my job was uh, to go out and, and build relationships with publishers and agents. And we did all of their PR and, did it really well. And, you know, we, we were fortunate enough to work with some really well-known authors and, and I just loved it. At that time, Patty, the owners of that business were building several other businesses. And so what was going on there is that they were really not as focused on, on the publicity business. And so I also recognized that uh, if we were going to be relevant in the future, right now we're just doing PR. And the authors we're working with, they need somebody to help them with their website. They need somebody to help them with their social media. There's a lot (laughs) more than just PR, right, that goes into it. And so I went to the owners and I said, hey, we've got to start doing this stuff. We've got to start doing websites. We've got to start doing social. We've got to think bigger on the branding front. They didn't want to do it. They wanted to stick in that PR lane. And so my wife and I talked about it. And this is when I was 27 years old. And I decided that I was going to go out and get approved for an SBA loan and make them an offer to buy that business. I had no business, but I had zero business going to get an SBA loan for (laughs) $900,000 and making an offer to buy that business. I think we may have had 10 in the bank at the time. And so thankfully they believed it was worth a lot more than what I was offering for it. And so they turned me down. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, as I look back, was was a key bullet dodged early in my career. Big time. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Big, Big time. time. Big time. And so 
at that time also, Patty, my wife was staying home. We had two kids in diapers. And so I knew at that point that I had a concept for kind of the first full service marketing and PR agency that would focus on authors where you bring everything under one roof instead of them having to hire a bunch of different vendors. But my back and forth at that point, Patty was like, if I go out and, and jump out and start this business and it fails, then not only am I going back to work, but my wife's going to have to go back to work. Kids are going to daycare. And right. so the downside of it was so severe that, you know, I, I, I spent a couple of years talking myself out of it and finally jumped out after uh, going to a Tim Ferriss presentation at South by Southwest Interactive. Uh, many funny, of your yeah. audience mm-hmm. probably knows author of the four hour work week. And mm-hmm. finally sort of dawned on me, I'm costing my family more by staying in this situation than I am by taking this risk. And so that was a starting point. Wow. Okay. I want to, I want to ask a few questions about that story. So even when you were working for this firm, before you started your own business, you were seeing things that could be that weren't there yet, right? You weren't just following the path. You were starting to envision. Do you think that is for you? Was it just something you naturally knew how to do? Just see, because I see that like in terms of change and entrepreneurs, like they can envision something that isn't there. I think it is. And I think for a lot of, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, they're starting to spot inefficiencies and areas where they can add a lot more value to, to their clients or to the situation. There's a problem that needs to be solved. And in that case, I wanted to solve it within the business I was in at the time. I, I wanted to you know, be a good steward of my role there as managing director and try to add it on. And, and because there was the level of pushback that there was, I wasn't able to do that. And so it became this real chasm for me where I was being asked to do something that I knew wasn't best and highest use for both the client's resources with us. And, you know, I knew it was a matter of time before we were going to go the way of the dinosaur if that's all we did was just yeah. the PR piece. And so, yes, I do feel like for most entrepreneurs that I talk to, the the starting point for their business is some area of significant frustration or friction around an opportunity or, or a problem that can be solved that in their current situation, they aren't able to solve. Now, that's I think that's a really important point, what you just said, because that friction in your case that friction became the opportunity. So, so many times, don't we, you know, with friction when we're working on something, it it's a negative instead of, and you, but you went to, okay, what am I, what can I do about this? Right. Exactly. I mean, that kind of your thought process. Yes. Yes. That's exactly right. How can we better solve this problem so that we can be better stewards of client resources, help them be more successful, but also there was a huge hole in the market and it was yeah. right there. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, I, at the same time, Patty, I also feel like there was a massive advantage that I had in launching Shelton Interactive because I had spent seven years building great relationships in an industry that, you know, as soon as I jumped out, I had, you know, a, a lot of people that were eager to work with me. And I think if I had tried to start this business straight out of school or earlier in my career, it would have been a much tougher road because I didn't have that network. Do you think when you started, you know, you talk about your network and relationships and you do seem like someone who literally knows 
someone everywhere, right? And I'm wondering, have, were you always that way in college? Was that just your natural style? Or was it kind of deliberate on your part that you knew in this industry that was just going to be really important or both? Well, I, I do think that it was part of my personality, but I'll tell you where I learned this skill, Patty. I spent uh, summers in high school with my uncle. So my uncle, Dick Grimes, is a used car guy here in Texas. And when I say used car guy, he was a wholesaler. And we would spend our days driving to dealerships around central Texas. And when they took a car in on trade, Dick was one of the guys that would come in and purchase that car. And then we'd take it to auctions or, or, or he'd right. move it from there. But what I watched with him, Patty, is when he would walk in the door to dealership, he knew every single person's name at the front desk, in the used car area. He would bring them lunch. He would bring them breakfast. He was a guy that was known for his integrity in a business that was not. And I watched the way he built relationships and I watched the opportunities that came his way as a result of that as one of the, the first sort of light bulbs for me that if you really emphasize the relationship side of it, number one, you're going to have a lot more fun. Uh, but number two, the things that come back your way in terms of, of helping you grow your business are, are significant. And so that was one of the things that I loved at sort of throughout my career is if you build a great relationship with somebody, you, you know, you don't just have a, a friend and a client, but you have somebody that hopefully for the next 20 years is driving lead flow for you yeah, is, is opening sure. doors for you. And so I am a, a massive, massive, massive advocate for, people approaching relationships with an emphasis on how can I help the other person, whether, whether anything comes back my way or not. And typically it does in spades. That's crazy. If you think about your, your summers in high school, that you feel like that really shaped you and the way you, you know, kind of built relationships, but good lesson in that too, right? Oh my it's, gosh, it, yes. You know, it doesn't always have to be the perfect setting or somebody who's a mentor in your field. It's just, you observed firsthand and probably everybody was happy to see uh, him come in. They were, they were. And Patty, I, I tell you what, you know, this, the middle of the summer in central Texas and he'd pick up some, you know, old car where the AC's out that he's going to have to fix it. And guess who was driving it? So I, I was the one that was tasked <laughs> with driving whatever he bought. I was oh. the guy following him. So oh my it, was, gosh. it was quite an experience. Oh, I bet. I bet. But that's, I, I love that because you know, I think, you know, you said you're naturally able to build relationships and so on, but you also watched someone do it well. So we can all learn from other yes, people. For I sure. think. So it, you're kind of talking about a blend of both. Okay. Another question for you that I think really relates to this topic of change that we were, we were talking about. When you started this business, boy, you took a leap of faith, right? You even fairly young and said, we're going to make a go of this and we're going to, I'm going to try to build this business. Even though at that point you knew you'd learned a lot. How did you build that confidence to say, I'm going to take, take a leap and we're going to see how this goes. You know, my, my wife was a big part of this, Patty. I mentioned to you that I was, you know, I had, I had a lot of back and forth as to whether or not, you know, it, it, the job I'm in is really good. I'm getting paid well. My wife's able to stay mm -hmm. home. We've got everything we need. And so is this urge for me to jump out and try this something that like, is this selfish of me to yeah. want to do this? Is this an ego thing? What, what, why? And understanding how significant the downside was. And the thing that finally got me over the edge 
on that, Patty, is my wife kept telling me, what's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that can happen if we go out and try this and yeah. it doesn't work, right? Then sure, we're both going back to work, but we'll try it again and we'll, yeah. we'll be back to where we were. And so the thing that really gave me the confidence that I could do it was her repeatedly pouring into me that you're going to crush this. It's going to be successful. You can do it. And I'm right there with you. And so I think for a lot of people, I, I feel for people that don't have number one, that kind of advocate in their corner. But number two, I think it's such an important thing to be on the same page with your partner on the decision that's made because there's so much that has to be coordinated and there's so much that has to go in the same direction. And so if you're not aligned on that front, it it just doesn't work. The other big thing for me coming out of the gate that I think was was a really big advantage is we were early to a market that I knew was going to continue growing. In other words, 11 years later, it's still early, in my opinion, in the space of building thought leadership, using individual brands to build trust and provide on-ramps back to businesses. And so I think another big advantage is we were a really different value proposition than everybody else that was in the space. And, and that helped a lot. The last thing I want to say, and this is super tactical, but if you've got people listening that are either early in their entrepreneurial career or thinking about going out and starting that business, one of the best things that I did, I made a list. Okay, who are the entrepreneurs that I know that I think have done it right, that seem to be enjoying themselves, that seem to be you know, in a really good place with their families? And I took every single one of the seven that I identified out to lunch. And I sat there at lunch and I wasn't asking them for money. I wasn't asking them for open doors or referrals. I was interviewing them about their journey and trying to learn about the things that they wish they'd have done different and the, the recommendations. But what happened after I did that, and you know, this wasn't the intention of it, but what happened is all seven of those people then bent over backwards to look for ways to help. And, and, and right, and so I, I think for for people, if you can if you can get down this road and talk to other people that you know have made the mistakes, both Patty and I have made millions of mistakes in our <laughs> entrepreneurial yes. journey, and we love talking about them because we want to prevent other people from from making the mm-hmm. same mistakes. But uh, that was a really really effective uh, tool for me. I did the same thing, Rusty. I mean, when I started my business, I'm not a big risk taker. And so that honestly, I bet I talked to 25 people. I talked to people that had built businesses. I talked to people who had, you know, created, you know, sales teams and been really successful in big organizations. And, and literally every conversation I'd walk away with something, you know, a little kernel. And it, that's what gave me, I, I, I can relate. It's what gave me the confidence. And I think, you know, people that are listening, not everybody listening here is going to start their business, but I, I think it, it can be, even if you're trying to do something new in your work, you're trying to get a, something started in a nonprofit, you're whatever it is you have that you see kind of as that next thing. I do think that is a great way to give you the confidence to do it because then you start feeling like, Hey, I know a whole lot more after I talked to all these people and the lunches you had than when you're just, it's just an idea in your head. So I love that. Right. And I think Patty, your point there is such a good one. This doesn't have to be about starting a business, right? It's it's whatever new role you're going into. And if you pick out the people that are in that role that maybe at first glance you think, all right, 
maybe is this person a competitor? I'm not sure. I, I would encourage you, don't look at them that way. Look at them as somebody you can learn from. And, and the thing that I think a lot of people discount, Patty, is when you ask somebody to go to lunch and you spend that kind of time with them, it's one of those things for people that makes them feel really good and really valued that you thought yeah. highly enough of them to ask them those questions. It's an honor for many of them to do that. I always encourage, Patty, I know you've got kids that are, that are coming up through college, mine are a few years off. But when I talk to college students, the thing that I recommend that they do to get the best possible job in the space that they want to be in is not to push resumes like everybody else is doing, not to do the same old thing, but going into your junior year, make a list of the 25 founders and CEOs in the vertical that you want to work in, whatever that is. And instead of going to them and asking for something, go to them and say, I'm doing an interview series on my LinkedIn page for people that are absolute leaders in the space of engineering or in the space of PR or whatever the yeah, vertical is. Whatever it is. And I'd love to interview you for that. And what happens, number one, you're going to hear back from the CEO almost immediately. Number two, you are going to build a relationship that's focused on value first for them. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. a lot of those people will turn around and look for ways to open doors for you. Yes. So if you can flip it, it can, I think it can work really well. I think that's true. And, you know, I hear so many people say, oh, gosh, I don't really want to bother them. I don't. And I think your advice here is so important because I think anyone who's had any success asking for just like you said, I'm not asking for anything other than your wisdom, other than your advice, your perspective. Most people are happy to do it. I mean, like you said, probably are glad that glad to be asked if time permits. It doesn't always. No, don't be offended if they can't make time. Right. But I think that's that is such an important point. And a way you get smarter. You build relationships, get smarter. It's just it, there is no downside, which actually that's another this that topic of downside. I love the question your wife asked you, which I think is really important for anybody, that what's the worst that can happen? What's the worst case scenario? And how that gave you confidence. It's such a disarming thing when you actually just put it on the whiteboard. What is the worst possible thing that can happen here? And in some situations, there's a really bad thing staring at you from the whiteboard. But in, in most situations, it, it's something that, that's manageable. And, and the upside is dramatically more valuable than whatever that, that little downside might be. But that piece of it was really important. But, but at the same time, Patty... You know, the reality that I was thinking about was, yeah, we still got to make the mortgage payment. We still have to. And one of the advantages, I think, of really both of our businesses is the early onset of the business didn't require. I mean, I wasn't buying a warehouse. I didn't have to buy yeah. a bunch of inventory. And so Absolutely. Uh, it was an easier runway coming out of the gate. But you still, you still have to be really, really thoughtful about it. And you know, as I look back, the difference for that business was was not me. I made about every single mistake that you could imagine a, a new <laughs> entrepreneur making with that business. But we we were so blessed with such good people. We built a really good culture there. We had great clients, and I think we we're in the right place in the right time with the right model. And those things allowed me to stumble through some early learning experiences and and to end up in a pretty good spot. Yeah, absolutely. And I think 
you know, I know when I started my business, I sort of did the exper- brain experiment. This is going to be an experiment for one year. At the end of, the, of this year, I'm going to know if I can do this or not. And so I think that coupled with this, what's the worst that can happen can help you feel more comfortable because not pe- everybody likes to make the leap. A lot of people like to know the answer. I want to know this is going to work. I'm a perfectionist. I want to make sure this is going to mm-hmm. go the way it's supposed to go before I go try this thing. And I think, you know, some of these things we're talking about can really help you you know, kind of reframe how you think about it. So I want to talk about, you know, because our topic here is conversations on change. If you think about somebody who is trying to start a change, it could be in their work, it could be in their community, start a change or just be more confident. Given your skills as an entrepreneur, what has really worked for you that would fit that audience too? What what do you think has really been kind of those secret ingredients that have made you successful? I think anytime you're wanting to to spark change, number one, people have to know that you're doing it for the right reasons. In in other words, people need to believe that the reason that you are wanting to spark this change is something they can get behind. It's a mission. It's for the broader good. And so one of the things that I always encourage people to think about, Patty, is if you want to educate people, if you if you want to create change, if you want to get a message out, you have to earn the ability to do that by by building trust with people. And so I think for a lot of leaders, for a lot of entrepreneurs, for a lot of people that want to spark change, the missed opportunity that I see time and time again, Patty, is they don't focus on the importance of building trust with their audience at scale. In other words, they may be communicating that change on a one-to-one basis or a one-to-few basis with the people that are lucky enough to get in the same room with them or maybe be in the boardroom with them or maybe work with them on a, on a direct basis. But in this environment, you have to be able to build trust on a broader level. And so understanding the importance of, you know, if, if I've just heard you give a speech at a conference and I was super impressed with that speech and I want to go out and talk to other people about this, this message that you just communicated. Well, right. One of the first things that I'm going to do when I refer you to other people is they're going to go look and Google your name. They're going to go try to figure out, okay, who is this person? And I think for a lot of people, they discount the importance of being intentional about the image that's created around themselves online and whether that is you know what comes up in a google search whether that is you know a linkedin profile and the messaging around that and i often advocate if you want to spark change the starting point is you have to position yourself as someone people should trust to teach them on that topic and the big shift and we can go into the weeds on this as as much as is helpful encouragement for people is to position themselves not as an operator with something to sell or market, but instead as a mission-driven thought leader with something to teach. And when you lead with that value, you're able to spark change in a lot quicker uh, way. Yeah. And I think you were kind of getting into this building your brand and and being seen as a thought leader and you're connecting being a thought leader to, uh, it's almost like, I feel like what I hear you saying is, be a thought leader and the rest will take care of itself, whether it's your business or your change. I mean, not to be, you know what I mean? It's like that sort of, that's like the first step. It's the first step because the, the first step to creating change, again, is, it goes back to this idea of trust. And, and Patty, there, there are two ways to build a quote unquote brand. 
in today's landscape. One way is to lead with the business or the nonprofit or the institution or, or the entity. And there are two major problems with that today. Number one, your target audience, whoever needs to hear this message, is more distrustful, is more skeptical of institutions, of businesses, of nonprofits than they've ever been before. When they hear from that entity, their guard is up. They're expecting somebody's marketing to them, pitching them something. The second big challenge, Patty, is it is exceedingly difficult to differentiate one generic institution or one generic business from another one. It takes a lot more impressions. It's an inefficient way to build trust. And so what I encourage for a lot of the people listening to this is if this idea of building a personal brand, you know, is a little uncomfortable, or maybe your mind is immediately going to people that do this for, for kind of an ego driven or a, Hey, look at me kind of purpose to be crystal clear. That's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about here is the most efficient messenger for the change that you want to create in the world is not your business. It's not your institution. It's not your nonprofit. It's your people. And and the more that you can move your people beginning with you alongside the institution or alongside the entity, the the speed to trust is dramatically quicker because when, when I hear from Patty Johnson, I'm looking at Patty as somebody that's about to teach me something, somebody that is a authority in her field, somebody that that is authentic, that's going to give me the real stuff. I trust her. I find her more interesting and entertaining. When I hear from people results, if I don't know the business yet, my guard is probably up. I, I may be thinking that this is somebody marketing to me. And so that's the, that's the principle here, Patty. And one of the things that I view as a real calling for me is I, I want to empower people and teach people how to do this in a way that's authentic to them that allows them to actually get that message out at more scale. Love it. Okay, so that's super interesting and helpful to me too. Good reminders for me as well. And so I want to take what you just said, those principles. What if I am someone in my changes, I want to introduce something really different within my organization. I want to be known within my organization for being a thought leader on any, pick your topic. But maybe you're, talk to me about someone that has that mindset. How would it be different for them? How would those principles be applied within an organization or on a smaller scale? Well, the same thing happens within an organization, Patty. And so one of the first things that I encourage people to think a little bit about is when, when that person, that leader that is three levels of leadership removed from where you are, that's going to be the ultimate decision maker on whatever that issue is, when they go and kick the tires on you, when they go and look for more information, number one, I want to really encourage people to be intentional about the initial image that they create. A lot of people think LinkedIn's important until they get a job. Or when they're <laughs> For hired, sure. right? And, For sure, yes. And so, you know, LinkedIn's done a tremendous job of shifting the utility of that platform to really being your home base as a professional. And, and so, you know, taking a close look at that, making sure that you're creating an image not of just another operator or a commoditized visual, but instead as somebody that that that's a thought leader, that's an advocate, that's on a mission. 
on that topic. The, the other big thing, Patty, and this is not appropriate in every case, but one of the best ways to uh, position yourself to enact change is to have validation from other brands and other people that that decision maker knows, trusts, and respects. So for example, the ability to go out and, and get a little media coverage around that topic, to do some interviews about it, to, to be able to point to other organizations and others that that leader already knows, trusts, and respects that are already doing that and are having success with it. So I often tell people, people are not nearly as interested in what you say about yourself as what other people say about you. About you. Right. And, sure. and, and the association mm-hmm. with those brands that uh, mm-hmm. do have the respect of the person you're trying to influence is incredibly important. You know, and Rusty, I'm going to connect that back to, and this may be on a smaller scale, but your comment earlier about building relationships, helping people without an ask that on a smaller scale, you know, people have a reputation for being that way. And I think that also could increase the impact you have with others or your ability to get your change across. I mean, do you see that connection? Absolutely. Absolutely. The connection is there. And so it may not be realistic for you to go out and, and, you know, write an article for Forbes or be interviewed on NPR. And certainly we're we're not suggesting that you can start there, but what you can do is really be intentional about leading conversations and building outbound relationships where you lead with value for the other person. Yeah, And that could be interviewing them. It could be asking for their opinion on that topic. And if you can gather others that do have the respect of whoever it is you're trying to influence, Mm -hmm. that's where it starts. Yes, for sure. I want to go to another thing that you've talked about in your story and that anybody can relate to, and that is decision-making without all the answers. Now, you talked about how you had the confidence to try a new business when there was some risk associated with it by asking what's the worst case. But I found one of the things that really makes a difference for wave makers, and I think for entrepreneurs too, is like you can you can create a path versus just follow it. But that confidence to make some decisions without having all the answers. And I'm curious, do you have any advice for someone who maybe struggles with that a little bit? Yes. Well, first of all, I think there are many cases in life where making the decision without all the answers is actually a good thing that you don't have all the answers because <laughs> you might not have gone down that road in the if you had them all. Yeah, yes. Exactly. If you had them all. But this is one of the areas, Patty, for me that I try to make a list. When I'm trying to make a really, really big decision, I try to make a list of, of all of the facts around the situation and what I view as the the positives of a decision and the negatives of a decision. And then I try to test the hypothesis that I have on that decision with people that I trust, that with people that I know have already been in that situation. And so one of the things that I've tried to utilize throughout my career is going out and asking others how they have handled that situation in the past, what what lessons they learned. And I'm a member of, of entrepreneurs organization here in Austin. And one of the principles of EO is uh, what's called Gestalt protocol. And Gestalt protocol is when somebody comes to you asking for advice, it's an awkward thing because number one, in many cases, they, 
giving somebody advice is fraught with challenges. Number one, if they don't, if they don't use that advice, if they do use it and it doesn't work out. And so just all protocol is really focused on taking the request for advice and instead sharing a story or an example of you being in that situation in the past and what happened and letting them learn whatever they can from that specific situation. And so that's what I typically ask people to do is to tell me a story about a time that they faced that particular situation. And then I use that to help me make my decision. And then once I've decision. made that decision, it's really from there about really managing the execution of it. I, I'm not a guy that spends a lot of time going back and rethinking that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's just laser right. focused. Right. Well, and I think you also, not to put words in your mouth, but you also sort of said you didn't really expect to have all the answers at the beginning, right? You, you knew that was not, that was an unrealistic objective. So you were going to inform yourself as much as you could and then make, make the best decision possible. Exactly right. Right. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Cause I think that's a hard thing. I mean, cause I also think we talk a lot about this within our team about that ability to see something that doesn't exist, create the path versus just follow it. And I'm curious for you in, in terms of you started the business, you're figuring out, okay, how do I work my way through it? How did you progress that change, if you will, of this growing your business? And you, you made the comment early on, I made a ton of mistakes. So talk about that a little bit. What, sure. what are the learnings from that? Well, as I look back, Patty, it could not have gone worse the first three months <laughs> oh, after no. I started this business. It could not have gone worse. So I, when I started the business, the previous agency that I was at allowed me to take our biggest client with us because that client had said, we're either going with Rusty or we're going we're gonna to find somebody else. And so they allowed me to take that client along with two part-time team members that were going to help me out out of the gate. And so all of that seems great. What Within three months of starting the business, Patty, I was defrauded out of 40% of the capital that I had to start the business. One of my team members left without telling me that they were quitting, just, just stopped answering emails and stopped okay. picking up the phone. The other one called me on a Friday and said, Hey, I've taken a job in Dallas. You know, thanks very much. And, and oh so gosh. within three months, I had lost both of my team members. I had lost a large part of the capital that I had. One of the team members who left took boxes and boxes of books that we were using to mail out for this very large client. And so I'll never forget, Penny, I called the CEO of the company that trusted me enough to be my first client when I came right. out of the gate, who oh. uh, I had just lost 400 of their books and I did not have the team member who had been supporting their account employed anymore. And so I remember oh calling the CEO and his name's Bill. And he said on the other end of the line, it's not going real well, is it Rusty? And I said, no, Bill, it's, it's not. It's not going well at all. And he said, we're going to give you another chance. And as long as you over communicate with us, we're going to stick with you. And that, that one client, Patty, is still a client today. Two businesses wow. later, 11 years later is still an active client with us. And I'll go to the ends of the earth for that client based on, you know, him giving me that, that second opportunity. But I remember going home and, and, and looking at my wife in the eye and saying, number one, I can't believe how stupid I am that I allowed myself to be defrauded of that money. Number two, 
I must be the worst leader ever if I've lost the first two employees I've ever had in this kind of fashion, in this kind of speed. And so it really forced me to admit that I had a ton to learn about effectively running a business. And I'm still learning that today, but that was probably the low point. And I love the analogy, Patty, that's overused, but I think it's so perfect for entrepreneurship, which is you start the business and it's like trying to build a plane in the air before you hit the ground. And we were like sputtering close to the mountaintops at that point. And anyway, that was a a big, big challenge. The other big lesson that I'll share that that I think is the foundation of any successful venture is uh, the principle that uh, Peter Drucker put in place, which is culture eats strategy for launch. And I am a 150% believer in the fact that if you focus on your people, if you build a good culture, you can battle through anything. The strategy can fall into place from there. And so that's been, you know, really the foundation of every single business that I've uh, been involved with. Right. Right. You know, and I think why that's, I mean, my heart was starting to pound to think about you making this phone call in that story about when everything had gone wrong. I'm also going to go on the limb and say you had built enough trust back to some of your earlier comments for that to have happened. If it had been more of a business transactional kind of relationship, I bet it would have gone differently. It would have. No, no question about it. And you're exactly right, Patty. And that's why I think this just goes back to philosophy that I think most really good leaders have. And that is, and most change makers have, if you focus on making a positive impact on somebody else, if you over deliver, if you leave every situation better than you found it, and none of us are perfect at that. But if you go into that every day with that philosophy, you're going to be number one, a a much happier person as a result. But number two, people are going to give you the benefit of the doubt. They're going to look for ways to help you. They're going to look for ways to open doors for you. And if you can approach your career with that kind of spirit of serving others as much as you possibly can, uh, it will come back to you. Right. And, and I also think about, you know, just listening to your story, the fact that you quickly went to, I have a lot to learn instead of, you know, finger pointing or focusing on all the negatives. I mean, I'm sure you felt like I got to get, I got to get recent pretty quickly and get going. And, and so I think that that's a great lesson too. I also, I love the, the example of Bill. I think you said is his name. What you also know that he knew you were a good person trying to start a business and he showed you some grace and said, let's let him figure it out, which is really incredible. It is. Uh, yeah, I'll never forget it. And he's running a publicly traded company today wow. that we're still involved with. But that was somebody that was on the highest levels of business that I think mm-hmm. maybe saw at some previous point in his career, he was probably in that situation. Maybe. And somebody, you know, maybe. So, mm-hmm. so I think, I think that was a, that's a big part of it yeah. as well. And what an impact he had on you. Yeah. Well, okay. In the in spirit of time, we're almost out of time, but I do want to close, Rusty, which, I, by the way, I could we could continue talking for an hour, uh, but I'm going to stop. But I want to ask you the questions I ask everybody at the end of, of a conversation. And the first one, you've hinted at a few of these, but the first question, what do you know now that you wish you had known then? Well, I think the biggest thing for me, Patty, is I... I wish I'd have known then that the 
journey is something to be really enjoyed along the way and those ups and downs rather than I think I overdid it a little bit early in my journey as an entrepreneur in terms of just thinking I've got to, I got to work 50, 60, 70 hours a week to, to, to over ensure that this thing goes the right way. And I got to involve myself in every single call and every single client engagement. And, And what ended up happening there is it went really well, but I burned myself out early I spent less time with my boys when they were young than, than I, I wish I had. And so, and, and probably those things may have helped contribute to some of the early success, but I think I could have done it mm-hmm. in a way that I enjoyed the ride a little bit more early on. Gotcha. So, so I think that would be a big thing is people that are getting started, try not to stress so much about the day-to-day ups and downs. And I know there's plenty of that to go around. <laughs> oh yeah! If, if you can just stay focused on where you're going and enjoy the ride a little bit more, that would be the biggest thing for me that I'd like to sort of shake mm-hmm. myself by the shoulders and, and encourage yeah. myself to do that. I love that. I love that. And, uh, you know, that also relates to being in the moment, not yep. get, you know, kind of lifting up a little bit too and having a little perspective. So I love it. Second question. What are you reading, watching, listening to that makes you think? Well, for me, the the biggest book that I continue to go back to again and again is a book that we promoted called The One Thing. Uh, this oh, is yeah. a book that was written by Gary Keller and Jay Papazan. And the central question of that book, which I think to me is perhaps the single most important question we can ask ourselves each day uh, as it relates to productivity and, and results is what is the one thing so that by doing it, everything else is either easier or unnecessary? In other words, what is the high leverage activity? If I want to enact change, if I want to grow my business, if I want to make my marriage better, whatever the the issue is that you're trying to meaningfully move forward, if you can ask yourself that question, what's the one thing so that by doing it, everything else is either easier or unnecessary, it really allows you to focus on the high leverage activity. And so I continue to go back to that book as I continue to to, to work with my team to grow Zilker Media and Forbes Books and the other entrepreneurial ventures that I'm involved with. And I think for me, it makes me question every single day whether or not I'm doing the best and highest use of the high leverage activity. I love it. You know, and I have that book and I read it. Maybe at your reckon, I don't know when it came out, but I have it. I need to pull it back out. A great book. It is a great book. And it's the one thing. So that might be something if you're listening, you want to go pick up. Because sure. it sounds like it's a very principled base. Start there and the rest gets easier. Penny, Rusty, I have one quick question for yeah, you. Yeah, for sure. You, just going back to this idea of making the jump as an mm-hmm. entrepreneur, you, you, mm-hmm. you were a senior executive at, at, at Accenture. You built a fantastic career there. You made the jump. What was the, what was the thing that pushed you over the edge to, to making that jump? I would say a blend of professional and personal, which is kind of, I could kind of relate to your story because I had, again, at that time, boys were younger, but yet I was still ambitious. I still wanted to do all this stuff, but I couldn't put it together in that environment at that time. I was in a global role, traveling more than I wanted to travel. And it helped me just kind of grab hold of my life and kind of put it together in a way that I wanted to. But boy, I mean, I'll tell you, I was, it was not easy because I'm not a big risk taker. I do, I'm planful. 
And so it took me a couple of years to kind of get up the courage to do it. And then I just, I did several things to, to get the confidence to try it and sort of feel like, well, I'll do this for about a year and then about a year and a half. And then I'll know if this is the right thing for me or if, you know, I should, you know, go back and be in a more traditional kind of role and never really look back. But yeah, so thank you for asking. But I, I can relate to your story that it was a blend of factors that were all kind of in the pot, that you stir them all together, but trying to kind of do things the way you wanted to do them. I, I still feel that today. I mean, obviously the boys are, are uh, older, just graduated from college and married, but I still feel um, that that desire to kind of have what we call scene control of, mm -hmm. you know, a life that you want. And it's, yes, it's stressful. And yes, there's a lot of stuff, but that's really the main thing. Well, so. I think it's an interesting similarity for, for those listening that are, are like Patty and I, where we're sort of, you know, we are entrepreneurs, but it took us a while to get there and we're not, we're That's not true. maybe as bigger risk takers. Patty did a similar thing than I did, which is she, she got clear on the downside. We're saying it can happen. I try it for a year and I go right back to, exactly. to what I've done well. And so that hopefully for some of you that are, that are on the fence or thinking about whether it's going for that new role in the company or starting something or getting a new job, whatever it may be, just get clear on what's the worst that could happen. And if you give yourself some guardrails on that, a lot of times it will actually give you the kick out of the nest that you need. That you need. And one last comment before we wrap up. And that is, I think the other thing in my first year, I did what is counter to my normal way. And I was, I set very moderate goals for myself in terms of business and mm -hmm. clients and income and revenue, very, very moderate to try to make it safe for myself to, because I tend to be, I tend to swing big. It needs to be great. It needs to be perfect. And I thought that's going to undermine me. And so that was another thing that helped me in just getting started. So this is a great conversation. I hope all these ideas have been, will help all listeners and Rusty. Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm scribbling notes as you're talking too about just such great insight. And I appreciate you making the time to talk so much. Patty, thank you so much. It was really my honor. It's great to reconnect. Thank you, Rusty. I appreciate it. Talk soon. Thank you all for joining us today for Be A Wave Maker Conversations on Change. I hope you learned something new that you can take back and use. Please subscribe as we'll have more conversations on change coming very soon. Have a great week.